If you're like any of the rest of us, one of the main reasons you drank is because you didn't want to have to deal with your emotions. There are a lot of reasons we end up using alcohol, but escaping emotions that we don't know how to cope with is one of the most common and one of the most common causes of relapse. If you've ever heard people talk about processing emotions and didn't really understand what that means, this episode is for you. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. Guys, before we dive into this awesome episode, we just want to remind you how super, super important it is that you leave a rating and review for us if you're enjoying our show. We know that over half of our listeners are using Apple Podcasts, and that's one of the most important places to leave a rating. Leaving a review is one of the most meaningful ways to let us know that you love what we're doing, and it will go a long way in getting Apple to recommend our podcast to others who need to hear it. Welcome, everybody. So nice to see everybody today. I'm really excited about this group of people and this conversation today. I am going to, as per usual, have everyone just do a quick introduction. Let us know a little bit about yourselves. Hadley, do you want to start? Sure, I will dive in. I am, first of all, I'm so happy to be here. I'm grateful that you all invited me. My name is Hadley, and I am a mom of three boys and a runner and a writer, and I'm actually working right now to publish my first book. I have been sober for two years and one month as of tomorrow, and awesome. the way I always describe it is, thank you. For me, it wasn't about how much I drank or how often I drank. It was about how I felt about myself when I did. And it and I I just had to make the change. And here I am and I haven't looked back. It was the best choice I ever made. Awesome. Really cool. I I love that. It doesn't have to be how much you drink or anything. It's just about how it's affecting you, right? So yeah, that is that is exactly true. And we met Hadley on social media. We're gonna include her links and everybody's links in our show notes just so our listeners can find them and keep in touch with them and follow along with their journeys too. So next we will go with Monica. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me to this, my very first podcast. I'm Monica. I'm from Southern New Jersey. I'm 54. I'm mom of three grown adults (laughs) who are now an empty nester, a new empty nester. I've been sober for, well, end of June was three and a half years. New Year's Eve day in 2019 decided on the biggest drinking night of the year that that was it for me. I was done killing myself, basically. Made the decision to live and that I needed to turn my life around and I was done making life hard on myself. It has completely changed my life, completely changed my life. I wound up opening my own massage studio and practice, and I've been fully booked for the past year. Just, I would have, I'm doing things I would have never done 
had I still been drinking. Amazing. That's amazing. That is yeah. so inspiring. And I will just tell our listeners, Steve and I have both known Monica since the beginning of our own recovery journeys. So it is an absolute honor it is. to finally have you here with us. And yeah, she's been a big part of it and a, a big inspiration to both of us. So really, really excited to have you here today. I'm excited to be asked to, to do this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. And then last but certainly not least is our, our semi-regular Michael. How are you tonight? Oh, good. Thanks for uh, inviting me back, Steve and Julie. It's always a pleasure. My name is Michael. I'm 43. I am in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I am the mom of three fur children. <laughs> <laughs> I have two basset hounds and a pair of and they, you know, fill my house with love and dog hair. I, uh, so my recovery journey started around, uh, 2009. So I've been in and around recovery for a long time. It has not been linear. And so most recently I actually drank a couple days about 30 days ago, but I've, I've found that, you know, every, after every slip, there's an opportunity to get back up, but I've gotten better at it and focus all the energy on, on keep, keeping coming back and keep putting one foot in front of the other. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being back. It's lovely to see you. And for our topic today, the more I talk to people in recovery, the more I realize how many of us never learned to process our emotions in healthy ways. For the vast majority of people who struggle with addiction and problem drinking, not being able to move through emotions is a primary cause of their substance use. So tell us, over the course of your recovery journey, what have you learned about processing your emotions in a healthy way? What does that process look like for you? Are we going in order? Do you want me to dive in? Just go Anybody for it. Anybody go for it. If you have something to say, that's perfect. So when you sent us the topic and I read it, I immediately had two thoughts that came to mind, two sort of different ways that I related to this topic. And the first was sort of the more obvious, and I can go into this later, right, as an adult using alcohol as a crutch when I was sad, when I was stressed, when I was disappointed, whatever, you name the emotion, and it was like you drink to not deal with it. So, you know, there was a, a whole brand of dysfunction that came along with that. But what really jumped out at me was thinking back to the very first time I drank, the first time I got drunk, I was 14 at a party and it was huge on so many levels because I'm a huge introvert, right? And as a teenager that came out as, I, you know, I really struggled with my social life. I struggled to fit in. I desperately wanted to, but I was shy and I was awkward and it was just painful, right? And so that very first time I got drunk, I thought, this is it. This kind of erases or takes away all the things that I didn't like about myself and my personality. And so I started drinking to kind of lubricate myself through those social situations. It was like my social armor. And I feel like I lost out on so much because of that. I never learned how to move through life as an introvert. I never learned how to navigate social situations, how to like sit in that discomfort that comes with being in, in social situations. That's just part of being human that we have to deal with. And so 
I just kind of ignored all of it and drank my way through it. You know, I went from the college binge drinking scene to the mommy wine scene. And when I finally decided that enough was enough, it was like I had to learn who I was without alcohol for the first time since I'd been 14 years old, right? I had to learn how to sit in that discomfort and how to be okay with being an introvert and how to feel all of those emotions and not just try to cover them up and keep going. And there's definitely been a learning curve, right? It was acknowledging that, okay, I am an introvert and I need to think long and hard about how I want to spend my time and who I want to spend it with. And maybe I need to make some changes to what my social life looks like. And I need to learn to be okay with the fact that I need a lot of alone time or downtime. You know, you guys were talking about that trip to Asheville before we jumped on. And I just kept thinking, that sounds really fun, but I would need like two weeks to decompress after. Um, but I just never let myself feel or learn how to navigate any of this stuff because it was just like, I drink and that's what makes me outgoing and bold and fun. And that's what helps me fit in. And I didn't know how to do any of that without booze. So it's been two years of kind of redefining what who my friends are and what my social life looks like and figuring out how to just feel all the things that I didn't let myself feel for so long. Figuring out who Hadley is. Yep. And I'm I'm still getting there. Mm-hmm. We're just having that conversation this week about how I believed that I was an extrovert through my my 20s. And my story is very similar, like those social anxieties and everything. I That's when I started drinking was the first time I felt OK around other people. But yeah, throughout my 20s, I was always at a bar, at a party, you know, surrounding myself with people constantly. And it wasn't until I, you know, actually had a little bit of time under my belt that I started to realize that, no, like people exhaust me. And I I had no idea in my drinking days. I think I was just surrounding myself with people who made me feel better about my drinking because they drank like I did. So, yeah, the the even just discovering, self-discovering my introverted tendencies did not happen until much, much later in life than it would have if I wasn't busy numbing all those feelings out. Yeah, I think I, a lot like Hadley, I I drank a little bit. I just experimented a little bit in my teens, but I learned in my teens to kind of numb, like to shut everything down, right? So I think in our teens, that's when we're supposed to start learning how to navigate emotions and navigate feelings and the feelings get bigger because the life is starting to get bigger and more real and the world is affecting us more as teenagers and if we don't learn as teens how to cope with life in a healthy way then we find some way to cope with it in an unhealthy way for me it was mostly just stuffing it all down like i was you know my parents god love them were you know, you're overreacting, you're making too big of a deal out of everything and, and all of that. So I just learned how to keep it all inside. I didn't actually start drinking heavily till my 20s. But then once I, I did, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the magic. This is how you don't feel things. Right. So every feeling got shut down. But I didn't have the coping skills even as a teenager. I think that, you know, if you grow up in an emotionally detached or disconnected or, you know, with parents who aren't emotionally evolved the way that they needed to be, then you don't get that either. And so I think that 
I went into adulthood with no skills as far as how to deal with everything uncomfortable, whether it was sadness or grief or anger or fear or all of those uncomfortable emotions. I just never understood that there was healthy ways to process them. I'd just stuff them down and try not to feel them. That was the way that I coped for a long time, which is obviously not coping. And so, yeah, that eventually led to very heavy drinking and numbing everything. But I think a lot of people kind of kind of fall into that same category, especially, especially I want to say those of us who are women. Steve's here, and I think I, I'm not sure how, how much your story fits into that. But Well, I didn't start drinking until I started drinking, what, 19, just a little bit, 20, a little bit more. I didn't get super heavy. Like there was the bars and stuff like that, but I was still super shy when I was there. I mean, talk about liquid courage, whether you're introverted or not. Like I was super shy and, and it, what, relieved my inhibitions. But I also, you know, you look back on it and all I did was get sloppy there was laughter and stuff in there too, right? It, but eventually it just turned into, uh, you know, going golfing and drinking. It, it, it was the, all the events were drinking events, right? Going to the cottage, going to, and then, you know, I'd grab a couple beers and go and sit at someone else's campfire and, and shoot the breeze. I was an absolute social butterfly. I was really good at being a social chameleon. If I look at this and how did I process all of this being uncomfortable, right? When I was drinking, I processed it in a way that wasn't healthy for me. I I drank so I didn't have to deal with it or so I could go and do something that generally I was afraid to do sober. So what did I do to process it in a healthy way? One of the things I never did was looked at where that fear came from. I never looked at where it came from. Anger is still a good emotion. There's nothing wrong with it. It's 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 like a secondary emotion to something else. Like I never asked me those myself those questions. Why? I just experienced it or numbed it and carried on. So I had a reaction because I never really thought about my reactions. I just reacted. Now I can sit back and pause and say, what am I feeling? How am I feeling this way? What's going on inside of me? This is the pause part. Okay. What do I need to do here? I don't know how to answer. I had to learn to turn around and say, like, can you give me five minutes? Like, I'm allowed that space, <laughs> right? Because I never, I always thought I had to react immediately. I always thought I had to give a response. Like, that was going to make me smart. I was smarter if I had a quick response, I had an immediate reaction, regardless of whether it was like, I just believed that I was right. So I need to dig deeper and sometimes asking for that time so I can turn around and look at myself. Sometimes I need to stand outside of myself, be a silent observer and, and really look at the situation. And sometimes I'm in the wrong. And then I need to say, what do I need to do? about this situation because one of the things I never did when I was processing stuff was a, uh, was an action that was like a healthy reaction. They were all avoidance, generally speaking. If someone was angry, I had to go back and apologize for it. If someone, uh, like there's the people pleaser in me, there's the self-abandonment portion of it too that 
they all, each single one, I can see it now. I can step back. And, and, and sometimes it's hard to grab onto it. Sometimes I have to journal. Sometimes, like, I got to write it all down. Sometimes I need to just vent and get it out because my perspective on the situation is flawed. And I can, and I can say that I can see that like, I'm angry. Is there another way to look at this? Julie's one of the things that she says is how can I process this in a way that I can live with? And that's something that I forget it. I just had to write it down because, but, but it's, it's an amazing way to look at it. How can I process this in a way that I can live with? Sometimes you have to change it, but maybe I can live with it for now until I find the courage to change it. Yeah. It's that willingness to sit in discomfort, right? That's basically yeah. what it is. None of us were any good at that. <laughs> no. No. My, um, I relate very much to uh, your, what you said, Julie. Uh, emotions were tolerated <laughs> in my growing up. Uh, yeah. They weren't. Like, the you know, mantra growing up was nobody likes a whiner. Mm-hmm. And I had very big feelings as a little kid. And that often, you know, was met with displeasure, <laughs> you know, and um, or even getting too happy and too excited and too exuberant. I was shut down. So, you know, I always thought of my being too sensitive or feeling too much that I was too much, that I was bad. I grew up feeling like a bad kid then yeah of course became massive people pleaser which makes you incredibly unhappy and that's not an honest way to live nobody's seeing the real you and i dealt with that through my life in all different ways it uh in all different unhealthy ways i did binge drink through my youth but it was infrequent uh what i did do was use food as a control whether I literally would uncontrollably binge, you know, to literally stuff down my feelings, I would eat till it hurt, or I would extremely restrict. I usually combined those two things. It was just a mess. And when I got into my mid-30s, I turned to exercise and running and took that to the extreme. I can no longer run. (laughs) I like it. I can't do it. So I, you know, I took that to such an extreme uh, for a while. It was like I would, if I didn't get my workout in, I wouldn't let myself go to bed until the workout got done, even if it was one in the morning. Like crazy, crazy approach. I, all or nothing in on everything. The the daily drinking started and it was to numb, numb out. It was all happening at home. It was not a social thing. I just, I had gone through a horrible divorce um, and it was a, a really bad marriage. I kind of repeated my childhood, you know, and married somebody who kind of just perpetuated the beliefs I had about myself and, you know, met somebody wonderful, nothing like anyone I've ever met, like the healthiest choice I've ever made in a relationship, you know, before I married my now, my current husband and I... I guess I just didn't know how to live a calm, peaceful life. I It gave me anxiety. I think I was always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And the alcohol started sneaking in as a daily way to soothe the angst that I was feeling. But I couldn't put my finger on why I was feeling this way. And it was 10 years 
of daily drinking and it just got worse and worse and worse. I would say the last three were, they were really bad. I was starting to cause health issues for myself and, you know, and I knew it and, and, um, you know, it, it doesn't get better. No, and, when you start, uh, when you start avoiding the doctor because you're afraid of what the answer is going to be. Right. Uh-huh. That was, that, that's, uh, that was, that was this guy. That was this guy for sure. But, yeah. uh, no, I'm yeah. I'm just gonna suffer through this. I had a scope. I had completely burned and inflamed my esophagus and my stomach, and I'm like, "Oh, I must have an issue with gluten and dairy." <laughs> <laughs> do you love how we do that? Yeah, uh, but, yeah. Can't be the two bottles of wine I was drinking by myself every night on the couch watching Netflix with my husband, just not remembering anything we watched or you know. Yeah, it's just that's that's what I did, and I, you know, it's funny. I ha- um, I've heard others say they had like a drinking voice, like a little voice in their head telling them I need a drink. Mine was always, I don't want to feel this. And yes. I remember me thinking that I don't want to feel this before yeah. starting for the evening. Yeah. So what does that look like? How do you get to the point where you stop numbing and start learning how to feel things? Because I know for me. Once I stopped drinking, the first thing I did was just go back to like stuffing everything down, right? Like I would just ignore everything and ignore it and ignore it because I had no idea yet what to do with it. Like I knew I couldn't drink anymore. That could not be an option. But then the learning how to actually feel the things in a way that wasn't destroying me from the inside out has been a really long process. And I think that looks different for everybody. Like I would love to hear what some of you guys have learned because I know no no two paths, no two journeys are the same. I would say I, I had this aha moment. It, it was quite a few years ago now, but it, but it always sticks with me in an AA meeting where somebody somebody said, you know, you are in control of your emotions, not the other way around. And that was like a gut punch to me. I had never even thought about questioning my feelings, much less like trying to have any sort of control over them. And and it just it was the beginning of my finally starting to question why do I feel the way I do and what what got me here and what am I running from, you know? And then it's it's been a lot of working with a therapist or, you know, talking with other people in recovery and and like I feel like I feel like I'm figuring out who I am at 43 years old. Like I I did not get those foundational years to have an identity to, you know, it's I, I was a stranger to myself for the longest time. So it's it's still a big journey of uh, self-discovery to me at this phase. Yeah. I agree. The self-discovery is huge. And what I sort of found was in my adult years, I fell victim to the whole like, mommy wine culture narrative, right? I'm stressed. Being a mom is so hard. The kids are throwing tantrums one thing after another. So I'm going to drink because that's what kind of the world is telling me is going to solve those problems, right? And it just kind of kept escalating. And like so many people through the pandemic, I kept turning to it more. It was like, you know, it wasn't as much a social thing any anymore because we were all home, right? So now it suddenly was okay for me to be drinking wine during the day. And there's one 
there's one day, one moment that always kind of sticks out in my mind when I when I think about this. We we had a rough 2020 on lots of levels, but my husband was diagnosed with cancer and he's fine now, but he was diagnosed in like April of 2020. So we're in the middle of the shutdown, all of this, and we were at our lake house and right before um, he was supposed to start chemo, he got laid off from his job. Right. So I was like, it was like a my knees hit the floor kind of moment. I was, you know, feeling all the feelings. And the way I handled that after my husband told me was I went down to the dock to call my best friend and cry on the phone. And I chugged two white claws while I was talking to her because that felt like a totally appropriate thing to do. Right. We had just gotten this news like this was all crazy. The world was burning. Now cancer layoff. Like I'm I need a drink. And so that's what I always think about. Like, that's how I was processing my emotions. And it was it was awful. I mean, I was lucky I didn't have like underlying trauma. And, and I, I, I sort of discovered as I stopped drinking and, and the months kind of ticked by, it almost felt like I had found a shortcut to feeling the feelings again, because the pattern I realized was, I would I would be stressed, I would be upset, I would be whatever, you know, name your emotion. And so I would drink and I would feel good for like a five minutes. You know how that works. And then and then it doesn't really help anymore. And then I would have the shame and the regret and the guilt. And then those emotions would be back. And I'd either have to finally deal with them or I would start the whole cycle again. It was like I was just kicking the can down the road. But I finally realized when I removed alcohol from the equation, it was like I get to skip all of the middle. Like, yeah, I have to learn how to feel the emotions, but I get to skip the shame and the regret and the drinking part of it. I just, I, I get to tackle the emotion head on and then I can move on, right? It, it, And that was my own way of kind of like rationalizing and coping, but it helped. And it was like, okay, the alcohol wasn't really making anything better. It was just sort of delaying all the crap I was going to have to deal with. I'm still going to have to deal with it. And so that kind of real recognizing that pattern gave me the motivation to keep going, right? And and to realizing that I'd never wanted to go back to that place. Nothing like emotional procrastination. It's <laughs> yeah. like all drinking is. We yeah. all, I think almost all of us thought we were drinking those hard emotions away. And really all you're doing is putting it off so that you have to deal with it a little bit later, generally with a hangover and some anxiety to go with it. And it just magnifies the emotions and the problems like so much more. I have a really hard time now of like shutting things down. I can't put things away anymore. They just stay. And so it's hard for me to like, I end up getting essentially stuck. I'm dealing with it now. I have to. A lot of the times, even if it's, it doesn't have to be very big for it to turn into tears sometimes because I just don't know. Like there's a lot of the times I think I'm, I'm, I revert back to when I'm 14. Like I feel like a teenager again. Right. And I'm like trying to process this small thing that feels really big. Mm-hmm. And it's feel it, and, and then because it's small, but it feels really big. I'm really good at invalidating it completely. Like it's, I should not be having this ginormous reaction to something this small. And it's just because I haven't learned how to deal or sit through 
that uncomfortableness. Like it's it's like when you sit down with a textbook and you're trying to learn something and it gets hard. Like I just don't understand this math or whatever it is. Like I I can't put it. When it gets hard, that's when I'm actually learning. That is yeah. the learning process. It's the same thing with emotions. When it gets hard, I'm actually learning. I'm teaching myself that I will survive through this. I'll see the other side of it. And the more that I see the other side of that emotion, the sadness, the grief, the guilt, the shame, I'm teaching myself that I can live through it. It will end. And I had to like relearn all of that over again because it felt everything was like so super intense it felt really hard to see the other side of it until I've seen the other side of it. Those super low days where it's super hard and you're like, wow, I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to be seen by anyone. All I want to do is lay in freaking bed. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm sad. And I'm cranky. Like the super low depression. That's one of those things. You can sit there, but you can't stay there for very long. You're allowed to be there. You're allowed to sit and sit in that mud. Inviting someone else into that mud is probably the most difficult thing to do because it feels super vulnerable and I don't want anybody to be in my mud because that's my mud. At the same time, I've walked out of the other side of that and I know that, okay, I can be here. This can be really shitty, but it's not going to be shitty forever. And I have people. And I can use those people and I can cry on shoulders and I can ask for a hug and I can, there's all of these little things that I can do to, to help me process them sometimes because I don't know how and not knowing how is okay. There were like some really basic things that I learned early on that I feel like should have been common knowledge, but they were not common to me. Things like you won't feel this way forever because it just felt like I couldn't, I couldn't see anything else at the time. And I would just, just say that to myself over and over again, like in those really low moments, you're not going to feel this way forever. Another one was you don't have to drink to make this emotion go away. It is actually going to pass on its own. You don't have to drink in order to make that happen. And that, because I had depended on it for so long, I assumed like the emotions would stay until I drank to make them go away. And it was actually something I had to learn, which sounds so elementary and so silly to say it out loud, but it was something I had to believe and I had to like trust and I had to practice before I understood that that was really true. Yeah, I would say that's like... What I learned was self-parenting, basically self-parenting. I've learned to treat my low times like I have the flu and I take good care of me. I let myself, you know, when I'm having a hard time, I allow it. I take care of, you know, more sleep, eat well, lighten my load. You know, I used to ride myself harder when I didn't feel great. I Mm didn't. It's like I punished myself for feeling bad because that's what used to happen. Now I don't. I self-parent. I take care of myself. 
when I don't feel good and it does pass and then I feel better. But yeah, it's, you have to learn. And one of the other surprises I would say for me was that it can also be just as challenging to navigate happiness and joy. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know how to handle those emotions either, you know? Well, like you're supposed to celebrate with wine, right? I mean, that's what we, we thought forever. That's what we taught ourselves. It's all in the rewiring. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wine, beer, you name it, right? It's a good thing. Let's have a beer. Let's have a drink. Whatever that is. Crack. I mean, I was a wino too, so it didn't matter. As long as you're, are you pouring something? Excellent. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, there definitely didn't need to be a reason for me to drink, but a lot of times there was. And a lot of times it was just because I wanted to escape, for sure. Well, you could always find a reason, right? Because we've turned everything, like Steve was saying, we've turned everything into an excuse to drink. So it's easy to, it's easy to do. Yeah, for sure. We talked about a lot of awesome things here tonight. Michael, you mentioned you are in control of your emotions. I think that is something that even when I heard that was was like, what? People aren't making me feel this way. I get to actually choose that level of empowerment for that. You know, like I get to pick how I get to feel about this. And it's all the lens that I choose to see it through. It's okay to not know. I think a lot of the times when we drank, we we drank to not deal with it because we didn't know how to fix it. And then and and then we have to try and figure out how to fix it. And because there's no way it's okay. This is a new big emotion and I have to do something with it. It's just it's okay to not know. It'll come. It'll it'll come just like the emotion passes. You won't feel this way forever. This too shall pass, because it does. It takes practice learning how to deal with them and then going back and reviewing, you know, how was my reaction to this event? How could I do that better or differently? And then bring that to the next situation. That's just, you know, bring that into incorporate that into part of life. And then Monica, I really liked what you said about self-parenting, really asking yourself, what do I need? What do I need to, to get through today? Am I, am I only at a, a level two and if, if that's all I can give that's still giving 100% if I can give a nine then then I'm giving that nine today and that's 100% but I think sometimes we need the twos to get to tens so I want to thank you Hadley thank you Monica and thank you Michael for showing up last minute and being a part of this and being a part of this fantastic conversation thank you guys for your thoughts and your time thank yeah, you thank you guys for having me yeah, this has been wonderful. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all so much for listening to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast. Don't forget, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation as a guest on the show, you can email us at throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com and let us know that you're interested. Again, that's throughtheglassrecovery at gmail.com.